Morning, everybody. My name is Jacob, and I'm the preaching minister here at the Tri-Valley Church of Christ. Thank you for being with us this morning. Those of you who are tuning in online, I want to welcome you as well. Thank you for being here. We are in a series. It's called Romans in Reverse, and we've been studying the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Romans chapter 13. That's what we're going to be listening to this morning. Uh, I have my guitar here because I learned the guitar some point along the way, and I thought, you know what, I, I could teach you guys some things. I want to I wanna teach you the guitar, and maybe you already know how to play, maybe you've never picked up a guitar before, but there's some things that I could teach you, and I want to see if you guys are good learners or not this morning. So I'm going to start by just sharing with you some guitar knowledge that I've picked up, and I, I'm not going to take requests this morning, and maybe that's okay, sorry, but this is a basic guitar. It's a, th there's different parts of the guitar. This is called the body. This is the neck. This is the head. These are the tuning pegs. These are called the frets. This uh, hole where the sound comes out has a very technical name. It's called the sound hole for the guitar. Uh, the zero fret is actually called the nut. You'll need to know that. Frets are important because they're spaced out a certain distance apart for the notes that you want to play. I took guitar lessons when I was a kid and my guitar teacher said, don't come back for a second lesson until you've learned this all the notes, where they are on the guitar. So Therese is writing this down. This is the E string, A string, D string, G string, B string, E string, and you can do relative tuning like this. Uh, there two frets is one tone. One fret apart is a semitone. That's important for you to know. These are some chord shapes that I also learned uh, when I was growing up. This is a major chord shape. This is a minor chord shape. It's up there, so you should be able to pick it up pretty quick. Uh, this is a minor seven shape. Also, some of the things they said, don't come back until you've learned this. Or on the A string, major, minor, seven, minor seven, right? You guys see that now, okay, right? And they kind of coincide with the major scale, which is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, and they have numbers, and the numbers coincide with chords, so if you're writing songs or you're learning chord progressions, you could do a one chord, which is major, two chord is minor, three chord, minor, four is, of course, major, five is major, six is minor, you guys know that, and seven, is it major or minor? It's actually diminished because there's a flat fifth. Bum, diminished chord, and back to the octave. There we are. Here's some more chords for you to learn. These are called bar chords. There's open chords, C, C7, C9, or you can slide it up to D9, D7, regular D. There's just all kinds of good stuff. Um, you guys feel like you can play the guitar now? Did you catch all that? Did you pick all that up? Would anybody like to come up and uh, demonstrate what they learned? Hannah? She plays a little bit. She was tracking with some of that. Uh, that's not how I learned guitar. That's, uh, actually, still need this. <laughs> I put it down too early. I did not learn guitar by sitting down with a bunch of paper and a bunch of theory and a bunch of notes. All this stuff up there is part of learning the guitar. It makes sense to me now. I understand this, and most of what I said, I think, is true. But the way I learned guitar is someone said, hey, just put your fingers here, here, and here, and play this. And I went, oh, that sounds like a C. And they're like, yeah, there's this song you know. You can strum a C chord. Drum, da da dum da da dum da da dum I said, wow, that sounds like I know how to play guitar. I sound like the people on the recordings sound. They said, just, just do that. And then along the way, somebody said, oh, that's a major chord. Oh, well, what do you do if you want to make it a seven chord? Well, you add the seven note. 
oh, okay, so they sound different and they have names that coincide with this scale. These are things that I picked up as I went. But it wasn't like, learn, 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 and after I learned everything, try to play the guitar. It was pick it up and give it a shot and go with it because that's what makes guitar fun. Anyway, I think that's a good way to learn. I've taught some guitar lessons in my life, and I've taught people that way too. I said, what do you like to listen to? What's, what sounds good to you? Let me show you how to make those shapes. Learn to strum a little bit. Learn how to hold the guitar, and you're good. That's the way to go. And the reason I'm talking about this is because I think that's how Jesus taught his disciples. Yes, we get the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, there are teachings, but they all kind of happen along the way. He teaches them on the fly and in an instance or at a meal or when a question arises as they're going. He's sort of like, just come with me. You'll figure it out as you go. You'll learn things along the way, but it's not a ton of theory up front that overwhelms you and floods you. I think this is a good discipleship model. And it reminds us as we're studying Romans that Christian theology is not just a head game. It's not just about studying, but Christian theology is always a lived theology. And the benefit of us reading Romans backwards, that is starting at the end with the church and their problems, or the good advice that he gives them after he's educated them on the the mechanics of Christ and the chord shapes of salvation, so to speak, is that we can just learn what he gave them the instructions to do. He said, this is what living like a Christian looks like. You go out and you do it. I think there's something really valuable in learning the what before you learn the why. This is how my faith developed as a kid. I saw faith lived out by my mom. I saw her dedication to the church. I saw faithfulness develop in my sister's lives. And I looked at the men and women of my congregation and I said, that's what being a Christian looks like. And I I just kind of imitated them. I did what they did long before I knew anything about Christian history or where to find what in the Bible, any of these big theological words that we tend to pick up along the way. That's my guess is that's maybe how your faith developed as well. We're reminded of this as we study Romans backwards. We're also reminded that Paul's letter to the Romans is not just these are the top five things that all Christians should know. Remember, these are some specific things written to a specific church who were dealing with some specific issues that needed to be addressed. Yes, it's all centered in Christ, and yes, this is absolutely good theology that we can put in the bank, but we're keeping the church in view as we study Romans backwards. Before we get to Romans 1 through 8, it's just beautiful verses that are worth memorizing and worth studying, and they've been done for a million years. We are going to look at 12 through 16. That's what we've been doing. So today we're going to be in chapter 13, where he takes them back to some basics. And he gives a description of what a faithful follower of Jesus looks like. And as I reminded, I want to remind you guys, as we started this study, that by starting with Romans in reverse, we remember that the letter to the Roman churches was delivered by a faithful woman that Paul said was a deacon in the church in Cancrea, this woman named Phoebe. And so the first people to hear these instructions would have heard them through a Phoebe voice. And so I've asked my daughter Molly to come up here and to be our Phoebe this morning, and she is going to read for you Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. And so you can follow along. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. Uh, But Molly, come and be our Phoebe today, if you would, please. Should be on. Wait, go ahead and say something. We lost our sound person. Can someone go back there and turn it on. You got this. 
Okay, go for it. There you are. Let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up to this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside our deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, and not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen. That's a good word. Thank you. Here, you, you hang on to this and just go and hand it to the person you think needs to hear that the most. I'm kidding. Don't do that. But you can go ahead and sit down. What? Yeah, you can go. She said, can I go to class now? Sure. So when I was a kid... We had one Christmas morning where somebody got uh, a game as a gift, and they unwrapped their game, and they were excited, but everybody in the family was excited because we like playing games. We are like, oh, we're going to play that game. So later on that morning, we all gathered around the table, and we said, okay, we're going to play this game. Somebody opened up the package, and they, they found the instructions, and they said, okay, we're going to play it right, so I'm going to study the instructions, and we're going to make sure that we set the the game up correctly, that we all take turns appropriately, and they kind of spent their time studying it. They didn't read the rules out loud. They just kind of read them to themselves, and we're waiting there going, okay, you know, let's get this right. The person reads both sides of the instructions, and then they kind of disappear upstairs for a little while. We're going, what, what are they doing? Turns out they were up there studying some more and, and making sure that they had the, the rules of the game correct. Then they came back downstairs and we thought, oh, okay, good, now we're going to play this game. But the person grabbed some of the pieces of the game and then went right back upstairs. And it turns out they were running practice rounds, uh, dealing out the cards and like setting up places and, and doing gameplay just to make sure that they knew how the game went and that, that we could play it appropriately and correctly. Several minutes go by, we're getting kind of impatient downstairs. And then uh, the person comes back downstairs, but then goes over to the computer and starts looking up message boards and blogs about this particular game and how to play this game. And the rest of us are sitting at, the, at this table going, are you going to look at the instructions all day long or are we actually going to play Uno? Is this going to happen? Can we play already? As we saw last week in the message that Justin delivered for us, the church in Rome was spending too much of its time upstairs with the rules and not enough time at the table with one another. The dividing issue of Jewish rituals and customs versus the Gentile freedom of conscience was actually something that was coming between people, and it was keeping them from the table. The church was divided, kind of like uh, that show Downton Abbey. There was the upstairs people and there were the downstairs people, and they didn't really mix very well. Some of the people in the church in Rome, we come to find out, they loved the law and the rituals, and they studied to make sure they got things exactly right. 
They didn't realize that in doing so, they were sacrificing the very thing the law was supposed to do, which was create relationships between people and God and people and one another. These things were dividing them, so they weren't having relationships, and they weren't behaving in a Christ-like way. And Paul comes in, and he reminds them, love is it. Love is central. Love is the thing that sums up all of the commandments. If there's any rule, if there's any format to follow, if there's any rituals, if there's any protocol for the draw four wild cards or the knocking on the table when you have just one uno card left, all of those things can be summed up in command numero uno. And for Paul, that was love your neighbor as yourself. It comes down to if you don't love your neighbor, you're not getting it right. You're not living the Christian life. So he reminds them of this. And this is, the, this is the first part of the passage that Phoebe read for us just a minute ago. And then the second part is, so go and do it. Don't waste any time. Twice in these verses that we looked at, look at the end of this, this section again too. There's two times when Paul refers to living a Christian life as something that you put on. He says, you put aside the deeds of darkness and you put on what? The armor of light. Let's try that again now that I gave you the answer. You put aside the deeds of darkness and you put on the boom. You got it. That's the first time. Second time is you put off the desires of the flesh and you put on who? The Lord Jesus Christ. So we're putting on something. This makes me think that there's some intentionality about being a Christian. That maybe people who've been Christian for a long time start to take for granted. Uh, I'm baptized. I take my Lord's Supper. I've got a cross on my wall at my house. I I must be a Christian, right? This makes me think there's something intentional that has to keep happening in order to live out the ideal that Christ has in mind for us. Think about this. Uh, I use my phone and my wallet, my keys, and my shoes every single day. I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't leave my house with my phone, my keys, my wallet, and my shoes on. But when I'm asleep, I do not have those things. I don't take my phone to bed with me. I don't take my keys. I don't wear shoes in bed. I put them where they belong. And then the next day, I gather them again, and I take them out, and I go, and I use them. But they're not with me when I'm sleeping. And probably the same is true of you. So Paul kind of comes along, and he asks this question, what happens if you don't wake up? then you're not going to put on your phone or your keys. You're not going to use these things. You're not, your shoes are going to be very nice and clean. They're not going to get worn out because you don't have any use for them. But he's asking in the spiritual sense, what happens if you're on spiritual autopilot and you're sleeping through your faith? Then maybe you haven't put on Christ, and maybe he's sitting on your nightstand not being paid any attention to. And that's why he says, wake up. Christ, the armor of light, the Christian walk is something that you have to put on. He says, you guys have missed so much already. Don't waste any more time. You already know how to play Uno. Go out and play it. Intentionality. Going. We have the Great Commission written on the wall over here. What's the first word? Go. Going is an important component here. I recently heard a minister talking about the difference between goers and stayers in the church. And he pointed out, goers, they always seem to have the best stories. 
The goers are the ones who follow God's Holy Spirit into new places, into new situations, into new conversations, and their stories that they come back with are just awesome. You hear the goers come back with stories, and they're inspiring, and you go, man, that is so cool. People's lives have been changed. People discovering Jesus performing these surprising acts of love and self-sacrifice. It's like in the Gospels when Jesus sent out the 72 and he's like, drive out demons, preach the good news, tell people that amazing things are going to happen, just go and do it. Maybe they were like, could you give us some chord charts first? Can you give us maybe some more instructions? And he's like, no, just go do it. You got it. God's Spirit will be with you, like you'll figure this out. And they came back and they were excited. They came to Jesus and they're like, we got so many stories to tell you. And Jesus says, man, we got to have a retreat or something. Like, let's, let's get away just so we can share in these stories together. The goers have the best stories. The stayers, on the other hand, stayers are the ones that tend to spend their time complaining the most about the music or about the carpet or about the temperature or about the worship service. The stayers are the ones who cause divisions in the church and often make a big deal out of small potatoes. Pause here for just a moment and let you reflect on this question. Are you a goer or are you a stayer? And if you're not sure, let me ask you the second question. What do your stories sound like? What stories do you come back with? Are they recent stories? Are they like, oh man, 15 years ago, this amazing thing that God did. God's doing amazing things now. Are you part of that? In verse 13, I'll go back to this. Paul lists things that are not part of the new life in Christ. And some of these things are pretty obvious. And some of these words I had to explain to Molly because she didn't know what they meant. <laughs> Debauchery. You're like, That's not me. I don't even know what that means, but I'm, I'm not a debaucher. That can't be me. Sexual immorality. Ah, no, that's a young man's game. I'm not really struggling with that anymore. Drunkenness. Now, it'd be pretty obvious if that was something involved in my life. And then right there in the same list, you come across things like dissensions, being a divider, somebody who stirs up disharmony in the church. You see things like jealousy, just the bitterness of your heart, or coveting other people's lives or things. And is, is that something that we have? I think a lot of the times... Christian people go to scriptures and we go, ah, well, those big things I don't have a problem with. And those small things, uh, well, that's the reason they're small things is because everybody, you know, it's, you're going to have to struggle with those kinds of things. Where did we decide to say, these are the big ones that if they're not a problem for me, then I don't have to pay any attention to them. But these, are the, these must be the small things. I don't think Paul makes that distinction here. I think Paul says, these are all things that you're sleeping through. These are all things that you are happening because you failed to put on Christ, because you're not loving one another, and maybe because you haven't been a goer, maybe because you've been a stayer. We need to wake up, we need to put on Christ and be the new creations that we're called to be. What does this look like for us? We're hearing Paul talk to this church and encourage them and spur them on to good deeds. What does this look like in our lives? I want you to think back to a time in your life when the most spiritual formation happened what year was it when your life was changed it might have been the the first year you you leaned into your faith for some of you it might be the year you were baptized for some of you it might have been like a really tough year that ended 
withdrawing close to God and being like, man, my trust is just huge now because I'm not living for myself. I'm, I'm living, relying on the Lord. And maybe for some of us, it was several years. You're like, man, it wasn't just one time. It was like, man, my 30s and then again in my 50s and then later on. Hannah, you can relate to 30s and 50s, right? <laughs> but maybe there was a point in your life when something happened. Think about that. And now think about this. What if the time in your life when the most spiritual transformation will happen hasn't happened yet? What if the most formative time in your life, the time in your life where you're going to go back, go out and come back with the most stories about what God is doing is a year that hasn't happened yet? What if it's 2020? What if it's next year? What if it's 10 years from now? This church has a lot of old folks in it, and some of you old folks might be thinking, it's probably in the past, Jacob. My money's on. It's already happened. You know, I'm, you just should be glad that I'm here at all. I don't know about this year or next year or how much of a goer you think I'm going to become. But don't give me, the, don't use that excuse. I, I want to push past that a little bit. Because I'm sure that you've had transformational years, and I, I love the faith of this congregation. It's so valuable. But just imagine for a second, what if the, the very biggest thing that God's going to do in your life is going to happen this summer? Or it's going to be, happen because of, thing, because of the way that the world is changing based on what we're seeing on the news? What if there's going to be an opportunity there for you to go and to come back with an amazing story about Christ just oh, blowing up your life and the Holy Spirit moving in a bunch of crazy new ways. Don't, okay, don't write this idea off yet. Young people, you're like, probably it's going to be in a future year. Older folks, it could be soon. It could happen a while from now. There's this guy named Buster Martin, and I respect him because of his beard game. First of all, he's got a wonderful beard that I, I could strive for myself. This is a man from Britain, and he ran the London Marathon when he was 94 years old. Here's a picture of him. 94 years old. In 2008, the first time he ever ran the London Marathon, he was 94. Do you think that this guy, when he turned 80, thought that he'd be running the London Marathon? You think when he turned 90, he thought, eh, pretty big thing, it's probably still in front of me. But it was, and it could be for you as well. Something pretty cool and big happened yesterday, right here. Our friend John, oh yeah, we can clap for this. Uh, Linda was baptized into Christ. She said, I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I've been feeling like it, my life has been leading up to this time. I want to I understand Scripture. I want to dig in. John came alongside her and is like, I want to help you understand that. And he baptized her right here behind our screen yesterday. And God's doing amazing things in their lives. Uh, and they're going to continue to do that. Maybe, I don't know. You think this is a pretty exciting year, John? I think it is. And I think it can be for the rest of us as well. I don't want to be the kind of guy who's like, oh man, I had some great, great moments of faith in college. Or like when I was in youth ministry, there was always some, some story to tell and something going on. And I'm just preaching and now oh, we're doing Romans and now we're doing this. I want to be right there with the rest of us going like, man, what's God going to do this year or next year? Or is, if the biggest year is in front of us, I want to be there when it happens. I'm looking forward to that. So what, is, what does it look like? What, 
what does it mean to be a goer? You can figure that out. But I have some suggestions and I have some thoughts. Uh, recently, our church engaged in an assessment process. We asked you guys to take surveys. And a lot of you were like, why are we doing this? I don't really understand it. And the same kind of attitude, like, you know, it's called the Growing Young Assessment. And our focus was on being the kind of church that really is one that is discipling the next generation and is doing things that is connecting and caring for people who maybe are in our community but we haven't connected with. Some people were like, why? Like, this church isn't growing young. It's got an average age that's above 60. We should be talking about growing old or, you know, easing out and <laughs> talk about heaven a lot. But we did this assessment, and we got some results back, and uh, the leaders have been kind of pouring through some of these results, and we're going to share bits and pieces of this with you as a congregation in the coming weeks. We want you to keep your mind on this, because that's one of our goals, is to reach this future generation. When I was a kid, and when, when you were younger, when your faith was, was growing and exploding, my guess is that like me playing the guitar, you saw faithful men and women following Christ, and you did what they did. They were mentors for you, whether it was official whether it was informal or just something that you picked up along the way. The question we should be asking ourselves is, there's this future generation that's coming. Not a lot of them are in the room at this time or maybe not necessarily plugged into our church now, but what we have in our congregation is a lot of faithful men and women who can show them what following Jesus looks like. Can we do that? One piece of feedback we got as we looked at the assessment results was that there's one of the core commitments is empathy today, asking this question, how well do we show a younger generation that we care about them, that we, we listen to them, that we want to have relationships with them, that the things that are important to them are important for us, and, and following Jesus means your whole life and you, you know, your whole worldview. Some of the results that we got back said that the younger generation thinks this church might not be listening. And you might think, well, that's not fair, because I love the younger generation, and if only I could find them, then I'd be happy to mentor them or to, to share them with Jesus. Or you might be a little bit ticked off and say, well, if they'd show up for church, then we'd gladly lead them. But just one of the results that we got back was they don't think we care. We maybe haven't shown them enough that we love them, that we want them to know this Jesus who has transformed our lives, but maybe they want us to do that. And so one of the ways that maybe you can be a goer is to just simply, if you're old, find someone who's young and say, tell me about you. I want to understand the way you think. What's important to you? If you're young, maybe take initiative and find someone who's old and say, I like your life. I like the way you follow Jesus. How can I be like you? I know that's kind of a big ask because you might hear that and go, oh, yeah, I don't know. They may not want me to, or I don't know what that looks like. And it doesn't, it kind of just happens. You kind of just have to try it. When I, uh, when I was a youth minister in this church, Rod Davis called me up one day in my office, and he said, yeah, uh, I want to tell you two things. One, I think you're doing a really good job, and uh, two, I've got a swimming pool, and you can use it if you want. And I said, okay. And I hung up, and I didn't really know what to do with that. But I was encouraged, and I barely knew Rod at the time. A couple years later, as I transitioned into the, the preaching role here at the congregation, uh, Rod came up to me again and he said, let's get together once a week. 
I'm going to come into your office, and I'm just going to talk, and you're going to listen, and I'm going to ask you to talk, and I'll listen, and we'll pray together. And that was all. Like, that was the only format that we came up with. And we did that, and we kept doing it, and we kept doing it, and we still do it. It's like three years later. I've gotten very close with Rod. We've kind of developed this, this mentoring relationship, but that's not what he called it. I'm going to mentor you. But here we are. It's been a blessing in my life. Lisa, my wife, not too long ago, uh, went up to Betty Davis and she said, I think you're a faithful Christian woman. I think there's a lot that I can learn from you uh, about your life and about following Jesus. And she used the M word. She said, I want you to mentor me. And Betty said, I don't know what that means. What, what are you talking about? And Lisa said, I don't really know. Like, I don't, I don't know what that might look like. But they started by saying, let's just get together for lunch. Let's meet together. Let's get to know each other. And they've been doing that. It's been a blessing to Lisa, and I think it's been one for Betty as well. Maybe that's part of being a goer. Maybe that's part of the forget about the, these laws and the, these rules, and let's, 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 let's stop studying Christianity, and let's start doing Christianity. Let's live it out. As I was thinking about the news and some of the adjustments that, that everybody's making when it comes to social distancing and staying home and things like that, part of me goes, man, that's going to be trouble for the church. A lot of churches are canceling their Sunday gatherings and their, their midweek groups. Our leaders sent out an announcement that all of our, you know, small a lot of people in small rooms have been canceled. Our small groups are, are canceled until further notice. Our midweek Bible studies and things are canceled. We canceled 9 a.m. or 9.30 services this morning. Uh, part of, first part of me was troubled, and I was like, man, that's, that's bad news for the church. As I started thinking about it, I was like, maybe that's just bad news for me as a worship coordinator. Like, we may not gather next Sunday. I don't know. Stay tuned. We'll, we'll, we'll fill you in. But a lot of churches aren't gathering. But I start to think about the early church in the time of Paul. That church didn't gather in large numbers anyway for the same reason, because it might not be safe. But the church was still the church. And this was a time, it, it, it's not that the church grew because of their gatherings, because cathedrals got bigger and worship got louder. That's not what happened. Christians met one-on-one. -on -one. They met in the marketplace. They met in the workplace. They met in their homes. They discipled one another. There was mentoring happening all over the place. And that's when Christianity grew. It exploded when it was young because people said, we don't need this building to be the church. We don't need this stage to be the church. We don't need 100, 1,000 people in the same room to be the church. Church is still going to be the church. So as I'm thinking about what's going to happen this week and beyond, I feel really excited and really challenged by some opportunities that we all have to continue to be the church. So I want you to take this challenge, and I want you to connect with people. You may feel like a lot of people don't want to meet, and they want to stay in their homes, but you can still call them. You can still send text messages. My daughter Molly wrote 32 encouragement cards and put them on the wall back there. <laughs> you could do that. I think about people like Dodie Jones, who checks in on Rosemarie and Joanne, and just she's, she's in touch. I was talking with Ann Butler one time about texting. I was like, oh, you should just send me a text. And she's like, I don't understand your generation. Why don't you just pick up the phone and call someone? You get an answer much quicker. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, but well, we just don't want to. We like to text a little bit better. But Ann's great about picking up the phone. This is a great time. I'm giving you all permission to pick up the phone, call someone in this church, and just say, hey, how's it going with you? Can I do something for you? 
Our younger people have the opportunity for, to check in with our older folks who might be more at risk and say, hey, can I find you some toilet paper? <laughs> Do you need anything from the store? I'm going out. How can I encourage you? How can I serve you? That's the church being the church. The church is still going to continue on. I'm, I'm encouraged and I'm excited by these opportunities. So I want to challenge you guys to connect more. Uh, on our website, there are, as we've been doing, there are discipleship questions based on the text that we're studying on Sundays every week. Uh, I'm going to continue to teach through Romans, whether it's right here next week or through a video screen. Uh, but if you go to our website and click on the discipleship questions tab, every week we update it. And these are things you can talk about around your dinner table. You can study them personally. But a lot of times there's a nudge. There's like a, hey, why don't you go and do this? We talked about this. Now why don't you go and do it? That's something you can uh, take on as a discipline. Also, you have church directories, most of you with people's phone numbers and emails in there. Use those. Connect with people. Check in on people. Uh, let's, let's do that. Can you guys nod and say, like, I want to do that. I'm, I'm going to do that. Challenge everybody. Call more people than Ann. You won't be able to do it. But maybe that's our standard. Just check in with one another during this time. So I'm going to close by giving you a challenge. I've given the challenge. Praise team, you guys can make your way back up here because we're going to sing one more song and then be on our way out. But this is an Uno card. And as a reminder for us to be players of the game and not just studiers of the rules, for us, reminders for us to be goers and not stayers, I'm going to wash my hands and then I'm going to put Uno cards on a table out in the foyer on the way out. I want you to grab one of these Uno cards and I want you to take it with you. And I want this to be a reminder to you to go and do. And maybe become more connected with this church than you ever have before. People at home, this is a fun surprise that we worked out. Uh, there's a chance for you to get an Uno card too. I want you guys right now, wherever you're at, to just stand up and go to your front door, open it up, and you will find we did not put an Uno card at your front door. That's, <laughs> that's expecting a little bit too much. Uh, but you can still remind yourselves. Here, go ahead and do a, do a screen grab of this Uno card, people who are uh, tuning in online. Okay, now you've got it. Put it as your background. Let's all be challenged and encouraged by this. I want to invite you all to stand up and uh, worship together with me and the praise team.